This episode brought to you by Audible, and today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash sports. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 85. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you are listening through whatever platform that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Complacency in life not only leads to having this passivity that interjects itself into your life, but it also puts you in a position of being left behind. And our guest this episode, William McGirt, is not one to be complacent. After winning the Southern Conference Freshman of the Year honors in 1998 as a member of the Wofford Golf Team, William would finish his collegiate career winning the Southern Conference Championship as a senior and then would make the decision to turn pro, spending several years on the mini tours before earning his PGA Tour card in 2010 after spending the season on the Nationwide Tour and finishing tied for second at the PGA Tour Qualifying Tournament. William now has 23 career top 10 finishes on the PGA Tour, and that includes winning the Memorial Tournament in 2016 and finishing that year ranked 24th in the FedEx Cup rankings. Here's episode 85 with William McGirt. Well, William, I can't thank you enough for joining me here on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. And one of the things that I'm curious about from your perspective, you're a tour pro. How do you view an event like the most recent Ryder Cup? Well, the problem with, and I, I don't understand putting Phil out in alternate shot. It's never been his strong suit. Go back 20 years in Ryder Cups. I mean, he's struggled in alternate shot. He's the only guy that can play from where he drives it. You know, he and Tiger both. They're the only people that can play from there. Mo- most of the rest of us quit. <laughs> <laughs> and but I could have seen putting him out in four ball. Okay. I mean he's a birdie machine. But he's not a fairway and greens machine. You know, he he's drive it all over the place, hack it up around the green somewhere, get it up and down. But you know, it's easy to sit back now and oh well should have done this, you should have done that, but you know, that one kinda caught me off guard. Looking at it the first day and I'm going, Okay, Phil's not in four ball starting out. Maybe he's sitting day one. And then they put him out in the afternoon, and I went, ooh, maybe he found something, you know, and got the driver under control. You know, but but honestly, I mean, Dustin and Brooks, I mean, I've played a bunch with Brooks. I mean, when those guys are firing on all cylinders, there's nobody better at driving the golf ball because they hit it five miles. And you know, the funny thing is both of them can hit a two-iron out there with my driver anytime they want. Um I mean, he saw it in Memphis this year. I played with Brooks and Stenson, and I'm driving it pretty darn good and pretty far for me. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, I'm walking up on every hole going, just get past them somehow. I don't care if it's a foot. Just one time, right? Well, I mean, Stenson, I've played enough with him, and and we have this joke. And the first time I ever played with him was 
in Memphis, and it's been probably six years ago, seven years ago, and he hit that three-wood past my driver all day. We get to 17, and the fairway kind of runs out about 3.30 or so, and I hit one down there probably 10, 15 yards short of the end of the fairway. And I walk up, my ball's literally two yards in front of him. And I said, well, it took me all day, but I finally hit one past that three-wood. <laughs> and he's still got it in his hand, he flips it over, and it's a five-wood. Oh, my goodness. And I looked at him, and I <laughs> had a nice little comment for him. And <laughs> yeah. We probably won't he, need to repeat that told here. told him right? he was number one. Yes. Uh, yeah, he just laughed. And, and I hit one by him this year, and he hit it good, and I hit it good. And we're walking down the fairway, and he looks at me, and he says, you can finally say you hit it past that three-wood. Oh. And I'm, you know... It's just so there is a little bit of trash talking that goes on out oh, there. Yeah. yeah, there's a little bit of trash talking, but it's it's all in good fun. I mean, it's not it's not what you saw with with Jordan and and Magic and some of those guys back in their heyday. You know, they they were at each other's throat. Oh yeah, but it a was lot competitive. Of just, yeah, a lot of it's just in good fun. Yeah, um, you know, and it's depends on who it is too. Is the what you can say. I was going to say, yeah. Um, I mean, I imagine it has to be somebody that you're relatively close to well, that you can joke around like that. But you take a guy like Henrik, who very dry sense of humor, um, and it's easy to, to give him the needle because it's coming right back. And it's going to be very dry. And, you know, if, if you're not on your toes with him, he's going to say something, and you're going to be walking down the fairway two holes later, and you're going to turn around and go, Really? You had to drop that comment, <laughs> and he'll laugh because he knows you've been thinking about it the whole exactly. time. Exactly. Um, I mean, he, he's an awesome guy to play with, and uh, you know, it's just it's fun to to sit there and, and watch guys like him and kind of pick their brains, um, figure out why they've had the success that they've had. Um, I will say this: I don't know if there's anybody better with a three wood than him. Um, they got a great story from Memphis this year. First round, we start on number 10. We get around to, to number two and we make the turn. And I hit three wood, and I'm just trying to kind of leave it short of these bunkers off the tee. Well, I hammer it, and it ends up getting past the bunkers. Like, Whoa, okay. So it surprised you. So, uh, totally shocked me. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, well, he's just watched that. He's either going to hit three wood past the bunkers or just hit an iron out there and got a wedge to the green. And he kind of flips it left in the bunkers and takes about four steps off the tee. And he's already handed the caddy the three-wood. And he's just walking along. He reaches in, grabs the driver out of the bag, grabs it at each end, and just snaps it. <laughs> and I just kind of stopped, and I looked at my caddy, and I said, did that just happen? You know. I, and I'll say this. I've played half a dozen rounds with him. Not once have I ever seen him hit a driver. Seen him hit it a bunch on the range. But I've never seen him not on the course. Never, always hits three wood. But when you hit a three wood like he does, what does it matter? Yeah, what do you need to drive? I mean, he's for? hitting three wood three hundred yards, regular, you know, pretty routinely, and drives it very straight. And he can't hit a driver on the golf course. So he does, <laughs> you know, he just carries it because he has to. But uh, that was that was one of but, yeah, one but of the he, more interesting. He was uh, over that driver though, huh? Well, the funny thing was, he had just gotten it the day before and not hit it on the court. Didn't hit it on the Pro-Am because he got it uh, after the Pro-Am round. So he hit it a couple of times on the range, and Lordy, his caddy, looks at me, and he goes, sad thing is, that was probably the best one we've had in a long time. I said, how would you know? You never hit it on the <laughs> course. Right. I said, and I told him the next day, I said, I finally figured out why you guys carry that uh, driver. He said, why is that? I said, 
that's your brake club. He goes, eh, not really. He said, that one was actually pretty good. I said, no, no, no. I said, I got the perfect shaft for you. I said, come on over here. I said, now it's going to weigh the bag down a little bit. I said, we're going to take one of these gallery ropes and get them to put a tip on it so you can put it in that shaft. He goes, he'd break it too. <laughs> so, but it, you know, it, it's, and the funny thing is when he does something like that, he'll hand all the stuff back to Lordy and turn around, look at you and have a normal conversation. And like, he just, just gets it out of the system. Yeah. Just, it's done. It's over. over move it's on and, and go. Now, what about you in terms of getting frustrated? I mean, doesn't that negatively impact you moving on the round, or is it, it can. you need to have that release? It just can, to get but it there out? are times you definitely have to have the release. I mean, you, you can't just let it sit there and build up and build up and build up because once you have that blow up, it's going to be bad. So I think there's times when you're better off just going ahead and getting it out of your system. Yeah, not necessarily break a golf club, but um, <laughs> just go ahead and get rid of it, you know. And, and I worked a little bit with uh, Morris Pickens, a sports psychologist, for a while. And he said, look, anger's fine. He said, but it has to be at the right time, and you have to let go of it. And once you're done with it, you're done. And he said, the best thing I can tell you to do is pick a spot out somewhere in front of you on your way. You can say whatever, do whatever, slam whatever, doesn't matter. Get it out of your system. But when you get to that spot, it's over, it's done, you're moving on to the next shot. And uh, I can't exactly use the term to define that <laughs> zone, but um, yeah. I think I, I can imagine. Well, I think that's something that kind of, it helped me initially because I could go ahead and have my little hissy fit. And once I was out of that area, move on but you know there are times when it does seem to linger Um, (laughs) because it's easier said than done no it's way easier said than done yeah you're constantly thinking about the shots you've thrown away Um, and I don't care who it is Tiger in his prime will tell you you know there were times he was thinking about the the bad swing he made back on four or the four footer he missed back on six you know it creeps back into your head no matter who you are um not all the time, but it, it still does have a tendency to creep back in. So you're you're better off you go ahead and get it out and just move on. And move on. And when you talk about that aspect of being able to to move on, and you thinking about in, in terms of yeah, you focus on these negative shots. But what about do you have to force yourself to? All right, well, let me focus on the positive shots that I just hit, and how does that impact your game? Well, I'm one of these persons, people that can remember every single shot I've ever hit in a tournament. And I think a lot of times when you get out in a fairway, especially in a in a pressure situation, you only want to try to find the positives. So you kind of go back through real quick, you know, where did I have a similar shot to this? Um, whether it was a yardage, a club, uh, the shape of shot, you, you try to find something real quick and picture the best shot that you've ever hit in that situation. And um, that's one thing that I'm usually pretty good at. Um, you know, you stand up there and say, oh, well, I've got 172. We're going to hit a high draw seven iron in there to this tuck left pin. And it's like, oh, well, I hit that shot last year on 14 at you know, Colonial. And you can remember pretty quick that. Yeah. I, that instantaneously. All right. I can't tell you what I did yesterday, <laughs> but I can tell you a golf shot that I hit 20 years ago. Exactly. Um, That's why I have trouble sometimes remembering, did I just put shampoo in my hair? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, it, well, first of all, you know, all golfers are insane, right? It seems that way. No, we are. I'm learning that. Well, 
we chase a little white ball around a big green pasture, <laughs> do it poorly. When we get done at the end of the day, we're frustrated, but we can't wait to come back and do it again tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. It's the definition of insanity. That's right. Um, but but the thing is, you, you're able to draw from those experiences. And I think your most successful players are the ones that basically push the negatives out and all they have are the positives. And you know, I remember Phil making a comment one time that no two shots are the same. Your lie, the wind... And if you want to get into Bryson's terms of relative humidity and the temperature and all this stuff that affects it, but no two shots are the same. But you've hit very similar shots over the course of your lifetime. So I think if you can can look back real quick and find that one that that most resembles the one you're facing and remember the good shot that you hit, I think you got a much better chance. Did that come natural to you? Did you have to work at that? Not that- really. I mean, it's something like I've always been – one of those people that can look back and remember I can still remember a lot of the stuff I did playing baseball growing up. Now I can't remember the book that I read but I, I can <laughs> Who the remember, author was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can remember the shots that I've hit, you know, pretty easily. Um and and one thing is like on the greens especially, you know, you get to a place and you're in a practice round, and you look around and you go, Okay and I and I've looked at Brandon, my caddy a bunch and I've said, Hey, all right, this was a putt I remember something weird about. I can't necessarily remember if it breaks more, if it breaks less, or if it goes the opposite way of what we're thinking. But I remember there was something weird about this putt. And a lot of times we'll walk over and hit it and go, yep, this was the one that broke twice as much. Or this was the one that was dead straight, even though it looks like it falls off the table. So it's not necessarily you remember the specifics about it, but you remember something that says, hey, this one was different. And... I mean, it's every week. I mean, our our rules officials, when they set the golf courses up, they're able to find these spots that just confuse us, um, where it looks like it does one thing, but does something totally opposite. And, you know, that's the thing that the experience of of having made that mistake a few times, you know, you get to the hole and you're like, okay, I know there's something different about this putt. And sometimes we write it down in the yardage book so we remember, and sometimes we we forget to write it down, but when you get there the next year, you go, okay, take an extra look here. How often do you get frustrated in terms of how the course is set up? It's becoming more and more um, of a bomber's game. Um, you know, my biggest complaint with the game now is that everything is geared towards distance. The artistry and the shot making has kind of vanished. Um, y- you see the the bombers now they just stand up there and hit it hard and they'd rather have a wedge out of the rough than a eight iron out of the fairway well i'm never going to be a bomber and my problem with the setup is not the fact that the golf course is so long it's the fact that the penalty for missing slightly is infinitely more severe than the penalty for a big miss you know, i don't hit it hard enough to hit it outside the ropes very often <laughs> So the worst rough on the golf course is from the edge of the fairway to four or five yards off. You know, once you get outside the ropes, it's all trampled down by the weekend. So the guys that hit it outside the ropes, you're, you're basically playing from the fairway. And the problem is with, with what we do and having spectators out there, there's no way to really fix it. You, you can't push the ropes far enough back or else nobody's going to be able to see anything. That's right. You know, I, I would love to see – some golf courses with more severe bunkers at 
320, 330 off the tee. So guys hit it in them, they got a much tougher shot. You know, Houston, the golf course we play out there, Golf Club of Houston, that's a golf course that the shorter you hit it off the tee, the more severe the penalty is. Now, the rough's only an inch and a half. But if you hit it in a fairway bunker at 275 off the tee, you're probably going to have a six- or an eight-foot lip in front of you. And if you hit it in a fairway bunker at 320 off the tee, you're going to have about an 18-inch lip in front of you. kind of seems backwards to me. Yeah, it's just design. But I'd love to see him go to some courses and redesign and put some penalty out there for guys that hit it 330. Because right now there's not a lot of golf courses that have penalty when you hit it that far off the tee. And, and the game's changing to where you just stand up there and hit it as hard as you yeah, can. Yeah, it's all about distance. Will. Well, and, and heredity wasn't very good to me. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't blessed at six foot three with long arms and big, huge swing arc. Um, so I've got to play with, with accuracy. And, you know, I feel like I can hit a five iron as close as most guys can hit their eight iron. But over the course of four days, over the course of a year, you can get your brains beat in doing that. Um, that's difficult to keep yeah, that up. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, but it, that's just the yeah. way the game is. I mean, well, look at how the NFL has changed. Guys are so much bigger. They're so much faster. That's why we're having the concussion problems that we're having. You know, that and I think the equipment's become a little bit too safe. You know, you didn't see guys leading with their head 30 years ago when the helmets, you know, number one, when you had one or two bar face masks and you run the risk you didn't of getting have your much nose protection. broken. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but the helmets have, have gotten so much more safe. Guys yeah, it's almost like eat. a catch-22 yeah, situation. It really occurring. is. I understand you want to have the guys with, with safety as a number one concern, but at the same time when they're that safe, it, it's kind of like getting in, uh, getting in one of the NASCAR cars. You know, you're strapped in everywhere. You almost feel invincible, and odds are if you hit the wall, you're probably going to get up and walk away. But there's always that chance. So speaking of NFL, college, so where your loyalties lie when you're a, I'm a, a fan? Terrier. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a funny thing. When I first moved here, you know, everybody around here, it's either Clemson or Carolina. You got to pick. That's right. No, no, no. One no, side no. or the other. No, no. I'm with the team in Spartanburg. Now, um, how did you get to Wofford then? Growing I, up in North Carolina, how did you make your way over? I had never heard of Wofford until uh, Dan O'Connell was a golf coach and he introduced himself at a junior tournament and uh, you know, he started recruiting me and it was 100% based on golf. Um, you know, there were some places I would have rather gone for, for the golf program, but when you look at the education, I mean, it was clear choice. Yeah. So what other places would you have wanted I was to go to? At, uh, UNC Greensboro. I had a bunch of friends that went to Greensboro and we, we could have had a heck of a team up there. And I remember the coach um, at the time told my dad at a, at a college event my freshman year, he said, you know, if I'd have gotten him, another guy he was really recruiting hard was David Sanchez, who ended up going to NC State. He said, if I'd have gotten those two boys to come here, he said, I'd have played five freshmen just out of spite. And we'd have had a pretty darn good team. The Fab Five. Well, I don't know about the Fab Five, but you know, it, it would have been it would have been a lot of fun. And uh, I'm still really good friends with all those guys that ended up going to Greensboro. Um, the other place that I was really looking at hard was uh, USC Aiken. You know, they were Division Two, but they were always really, really good. Um, and I love the coach down there. But when you looked at the the education aspect of it, it was pretty clear 
that that Wofford was the place to go. So growing up then, before you get to Wofford, I mean, you mentioned baseball. Mm-hmm. So was baseball your first love versus ba- golf, or well, how did you was, gravitate towards them? Baseball was kind of my first love. Um, now I played golf, gosh, from the time I could stand up till I was eight years old. Did not touch a golf club again until I was 15. I think it was my 15th birthday. I went out and played with my grandfather and some of his friends and uh, started kind of getting back into it then. So what happened between those seven years? Well, I played baseball from eight years old up until I graduated high school. I mean, literally, I played my last high school baseball game about two weeks before I graduated. So baseball dominated those seven years. That's why you didn't go back into golf. Ten years, yes. Eight to 18. Um, I loved baseball. Sometimes I miss baseball. My body sure doesn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love the team aspect of baseball. Um, golf is is an individual sport. There's nobody else to rely on. You know, at at our level, it's me and my caddy. Um, but ultimately, it falls on me. But it's it's a completely different sport from anything else. Maybe other than tennis, it's it's just something that I absolutely love. But I I look back at it from time to time, and I really miss baseball. But at the same time, I don't miss it at all. Of course. <laughs> now, what was the the moment of getting back into golf then? When you were fifteen, what inspired you to get back out there? Honestly, I'm not sure. Uh, my grandfather asked me if I wanted to go play golf sometime, and I said sure. Went out, and I'm pretty sure it was my fifteenth birthday. And I remember I shot 83. It was the first time I'd played golf. 83? Eight or nine years, yeah. (laughs) Um, And honestly, it took me six months to maybe less to shoot in the 70s. And I know it was way less than a year before I broke 75. Um, Were you taking lessons or anything? No. I started taking lessons shortly after I turned 16. I played my first tournament – in almost 10 years after I turned 16 and uh, played in a North Carolina junior. And I remember I shot 80, it was 81, 82. And I remember thinking, wow, this is a lot harder in a tournament than it is at home. <laughs> but uh, kind of, I was, I was really in love with the game. Went home, started practicing pretty much all day, every day in the summer. Kept practicing throughout school. I'd get out of school and I'd go, straight to the golf course, which was only half a mile from school. And even even during baseball season, I would get out of school at 3 o'clock. Baseball practices start at 4.30 or so, and I'd go hit golf balls for an hour, go back and get ready for baseball practice. And once we got late enough in the spring, I'd leave baseball practice and go back and hit golf balls. Um, and then the weekends were dominated by golf. Um, one... one one great thing was that I was taught at an early age, you play fast. If you if you followed through and posed on a shot, you saw the golf cart riding down the fairway and you had to run and play catch up. <laughs> so did you have some experiences where you had to learn that the hard way? I learned that the hard way, yeah. <laughs> um, but my grandfather and his friends, we routinely played 36 holes on a Saturday and teed off at 8 and we were done by 1.30 and had figured up all the bets after each round. Um, you just played fast. Yeah. I mean, you played ready golf. It didn't matter if, if you were away. Just if go. You, if you were kind of fumbling around, grab a club and hit it. You know, it was more about speed and 
quantity of holes instead of quality. Now, at were that you point. beating these guys at the time? It took me maybe three months to beat them, all of them on a regular basis. Yeah, there were. They had to be frustrated. Well, there were times they were frustrated. Um, yeah, it was always funny to watch how the teams were made up. You'd see people come out of the clubhouse because I was the only one that hit balls to warm up. I'd go out and hit some balls and hit some putts. And uh, they'd come out. You could tell whose team I was on by, you know, who was happy and who was walking out <laughs> kicking the dirt. Exactly. But, um, you know, you were was, the ringer. It was fun. And, I mean, honestly, it seemed like it always came down to 18. I mean, when they when they would make up the teams and they were pretty pretty fair. I mean, there were there were a few lopsided matches in there, but not – it wasn't every week, that's for sure. Now, do you think baseball helped your golf game or golf helped your baseball game? I would say they complemented each other very well. Um, when you think about it, the baseball swing and the golf swing are pretty much the same. They're just on two different planes. One starts from the top of the swing and one starts at the bottom. Um, you know, golf swing, you wind up more. Baseball swing, you just kind of react to the pitch that's coming, but you're already at the top of your swing. Um yeah, and a lot of people say, well, oh, well, one swing's going to mess up the other. Not That's really. what I've heard, too. Not really. Um, you know, when I think back about it, I think I was probably playing my best baseball or hitting my best in baseball when I was playing a lot of golf, hitting a lot of golf balls. Um, and the one thing that struggled during baseball season was my short game on the golf course. But I seemed to hit the ball better on the golf course when I was playing baseball, too. Um, why? I don't know. But, yeah, I think they complemented each other nicely. The only thing that made golf tougher at that point was when you'd take a foul, because I was a catcher, you'd take a foul tip off the hand or you know, something like that and be bruised up and couldn't, couldn't grip the club grip as well. It. But, you know, it was nothing, nothing ever major. Yeah. When was it then that you made the decision that, I'm going to pursue golf as a career. I'm going to try to make the PGA Tour. Well, I kind of gave up on baseball, I guess, my junior year in high school. Not really gave up on it, but kind of gave up on the dream of playing college baseball. I realized there were no five-foot, six-inch, slow, fat catchers that hit for <laughs> average in the major leagues. Um, and, I, and I was really falling in love with golf at that point. Um, it's just one of those things that I kind of, I don't know, it was a new challenge and I was kind of burned out on baseball and it was something new and it was a game that you could never master. I mean, nobody has ever mastered the game of golf. Nobody's ever shot 18 before. Nobody ever will shoot 18. <laughs> um, so I think it was just the new challenge of golf that, that kind of grabbed my attention and, and made me want to get better at it. What was the difference then as you made that transition uh, as far as from college where you had success at Wofford mm -hmm. and then trying to make it to the PGA Tour? I mean, you have to grind it out to, to earn your Every card. Every shot matters. Yeah. So what was that like in terms of just that grind? And what are some things that people just don't understand about trying to make the tour? Well, so I, I'm not like a lot of guys who finish college – and went straight to playing mini tours or playing somewhere professionally. I finished Wofford in 2001, and I didn't turn pro until June of 2004. Um, 
I actually got married Memorial Day weekend, went on my honeymoon, came back and played my first professional event the next week. <laughs> um, not sure my wife was overly happy exactly. with that. But uh, yeah, I remember telling her that I was going to try to play pro golf and she's like, yeah, okay, what does that mean? I'm like, well, see you in a couple of months. Um, I went down to Myrtle Beach and played the Gateway Tour. And I think the one thing people don't realize, they see us play golf on the PGA Tour Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They don't see everything that happens from Sunday after the round up to Thursday when we tee off the next week. You know, the travel, the amount of practice, the sponsor functions, all the other stuff that goes into it um, on a weekly basis. You know, I, I usually play 28 to 30 events a year, and there's, there's an awful lot of hours. I, I would say I spend more time practicing or playing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday than I do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, because I like to have all the prep work done Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so that when I show up Thursday, you just go play golf. You're not thinking about other stuff. Um, and, you know, there are weeks when you show up on Thursday and you've been hitting it great Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you show up Thursday and you just don't have it. And you just try to gut it out and survive in advance. Um, th the thing that I've always tried to do is learn something from every round of golf that I play. And there have been a lot of weeks where I've finished 50th and I've walked away knowing that I've kind of figured something out. And there have been a lot of weeks that I've finished in the top 10 and you scratch your head and going, <laughs> how did I do that? Because I was playing terrible. Yeah. And you just don't, you don't necessarily know what the right answer is at that point, but somehow you figured it out. And I would say that some of those weeks where you finish 50th and you kind of, the light goes off, it excites you more than, than the week where you finish fifth. It's a never ending process. You're, you're constantly trying to get better. There's always something you can improve in your game. Um, whether it's your driving, your iron play, your short game, it can never be too good. But I think that's one thing I love about golf is that, there's always something to work on, and you can never master this game. There's times when you feel like you have it, and then as soon as you get that feeling, you show up the next day and golf kicks you right, it's in, gone, the, right? in the rear end. <laughs> um, but it's, I it's a lot of fun, um, and it's something that I said when I stop having fun, it's time to walk away. And there's been times when you, you kind of, all right, we need to sit down and regroup and, and take a couple of days off. Just get away from it. And when you come back, you're excited. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, you know, was this surgery something that I wanted to have done? No. Um, was it something that I needed to have done if I wanted to prolong my career? Absolutely. And I think the biggest thing is right now I'm, I kind of have the itch to to get back out there and do something. Well, because you probably won't see how your hip's going to respond. Well, I mean, I know that it's going to be after the first of the year before I can even hit a ball. Yeah, I was going to say, what is your, what's the impact going to be for the upcoming season for you? How much well, are you going to miss? I'm, I'm going to basically miss the entire season. Um, so I'm hoping that by September of next year, I can get back to playing again on tour. So I'll be on crutches for another week or so. And then hopefully once I'm off the crutches, I can at least start putting. I know he does not want me doing anything that involves rotation on my hip. He wants to give the labrum as much time 
to heal as he possibly can. And he told me sometime after the first of the year, he would let me start hitting pitch shots and chips and stuff that with a minimal amount of rotation to see how it feels and then kind of progress from there. He said, hopefully by March, I could be getting close to full speed. Well, then all those bad habits I got in over the last year <laughs> favoring my hip and, and compensations that your body just naturally makes. Um, I've got to break all those and then start working on my game. Yeah, you think you're going to have to relearn your swing? There's a lot of stuff that I'm going to have to relearn. Um, one of the most interesting things I've ever done, so the day before surgery, um, I did a 3D swing analysis, and all we were looking at was the hips. So Dr. Bird's office does a lot of research with golf uh, and how the hips react and how they affect the golf swing. Well, the average amount of internal rotation on the lead leg, so for a right-handed golfer, it'd be your left hip, uh, on the PGA Tour is 40 degrees. I was operating with less than five. So when Ashley, one of Dr. Bird's PTs that does a lot of the research, she's watching me hit balls and she says, I... I honestly cannot believe you haven't completely blown out your left knee when you're moving that fast something is having to slow you down and it's either the knee or your low back that usually give and what i've done is i've rolled my left ankle more and more and more that's what's been taking the brunt of it and uh so i'm just crossing my fingers that eventually the ankle doesn't give out and i have to do something <laughs> with it but I'm, I'm i'm really excited because just in the therapy that I've been doing, um, I already have over 15 degrees of internal rotation, and that's with just simple exercises. That's me doing it myself, no assistance, you know, just me sitting there and, and doing the internal rotation, which they think I can get somewhere 25 to 30 degrees, which is going to be huge for me. I mean, if I go 25 degrees, that's five times the amount that I've had. Exactly. I'm going to have all kinds of freedom here. Um, <laughs> now, who's going to hold you accountable and responsible for not going too fast? Because you have that itch to well, get back out there. But you got to take it yeah, slower than you want to. A lot of that's on me because at the end of the day, I know that this is not something you can rush. As much as I want to, um, you know, I would love to to walk out there and just hit a couple of chip shots. Um, you know, I, I've been helping uh, Alex Hamilton with the Wofford men's team. And I was out at practice last week, and I was trying to explain to somebody how to hit a certain shot. And you want to just drop the crutches and say, give me the club. <laughs> but I know you. I can't. That's right. And uh, so I had to call Alex over and explain to him what I was trying to explain to the player and uh, it just kind of gets lost in translation there. You can't fully do what you want to do. But, yeah, part of me is just give me the club and let me show you what I'm talking about. <laughs> and the other part's going, eh, no, nah, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it's on me. But, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely an itch to, to do something. Of course. Now, would you ever think about at one time, if you as you mentioned, not having the love of it, but would you be a golf instructor? I don't necessarily know if if teaching would be my thing. Um, I, one thing I was not blessed with was patience. <laughs> um, you, you'd never be able to tell that watching me on the golf course. 
zero patience whatsoever. Yeah, you um, seem in control. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you've been watching me or somebody else? Um, I'm just not sure I would have the patience to to sit there and teach. Um, you know, I would love to coach a golf team, coach a college team. Um, there again, that patience thing might come back to haunt me. But it, I, I think that would be something that I would enjoy a whole lot more than, than being an instructor. Um, you know, Kevin Britt, who I've been working with some, he's the director of uh, junior instruction at Spartanburg Country Club. And I look at him and what he's able to do with kids. I mean, my five-year-old goes to him. When I take Mac out to the golf course, it's maybe two minutes of listening and then it's mass chaos. But Kevin has a way of making it fun for all these kids and still getting them to work on stuff. He, I mean, I've never seen a human being with as much patience as he has. And, yeah, I mean, we're extremely lucky to have him. And what he's done with our junior program in two and a half years is phenomenal. You know, you're not really seeing the results of it right now. But eight or ten years from now, when, when my son's age kids grow up and keep playing – that's where you're going to see the difference. Now, has your son, has he just naturally kind of gravitated towards golf? Or were no. you, here you go, here's the golf club. No, I've, I've never once pushed him. If he wants to play, great. If he doesn't want to play, that's great too. Um, I don't believe in pushing a kid into sports, especially if they have no desire. They're not going to have fun with it. So, you know, I bought him a set of U.S. kids clubs, basically sat in there and said, if you want to play, I'll take you. But if you don't want to play, that's fine too. Now, I did actually take him out to Kevin and get him a few lessons <laughs> um, before the Masters last year because I really wanted him to be able to hit some putts in the par three tournament. And then we didn't get to play. We were actually walking over to the par three when they blew the horn. Yeah, of course, the weather, in. yeah. Um, that, was, that was the only disappointment really from the Masters last year was not getting to do that. I mean, that was that was probably the one thing I was looking forward to the most. Even was, more so than actually playing in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's I've watched it for so many years and seen everybody out there with their kids having so much fun. That was the one thing that that I would look back at and say that was really disappointing. You know, my, my finish on Sunday, that was disappointing. But it's not the end of the world. I mean, I Look, that's probably the greatest experience I've ever had playing golf was playing in the Masters last year. Um, maybe more so than winning Memorial. Um, that's saying something because it, winning is a lot. very mean, hard on tour. But the Masters is a tournament that you dream about as a kid. You know, you're always on the putting green. You, you're never saying this putts to win whatever. It's always to win the Masters. And it's it's a tournament that every golfer knows about. And I'd say the Masters is probably the only tournament that a lot of non-golfers watch routinely. Um, I can tell you that the Masters is usually the only tournament that I'll sit down and watch the entire telecast on the weekends. Um, that being said, I kind of broke my rule and watched Sunday of the Tour Championship from start to finish. You know... Tiger has meant so much to our game, and there's no doubt that he's put a lot of money in a lot of guys' pockets. And 
the struggles that he's gone through for the last five years with his body, to see him come back and play as well as he had all year, that's another thing you could kind of see the win coming. You knew he was close. And I won't say it was like watching, you know, a journeyman go out and try to win, um, fighting themselves, because that was his 80th win on tour. But it was his first win post all these surgeries. And um, I've been fortunate enough to get to know him a little bit. I missed a cut at the first playoff event this year. And when my son was born, we were given a book, a kid's book, P is for Putt. And there were three golfers in the book, Arnold, Jack, and Tiger. Well, I had Arnold and Jack both sign it the year my son was born. And I had never worked up the courage to ask Tiger to sign it. So I asked him at Memorial this year, we were eating lunch, and I said, hey, if I bring you a book, kid's book, would you sign it for my son? I said, I don't care if you personalize it. I know you don't like to to just sign stuff that can be sold. Whatever you want to do. He goes, yeah, bring it. I'll be glad to sign it. I put it in his locker Tuesday, and, of course, I walked back Friday after I missed the cut. It's still laying in the locker the same way I put it in there. The pen's in the same, you know. He doesn't use the locker room very much. And I call my wife, and I'm like, "Mm, I don't know what to do. The book hadn't been signed, but really want it signed. You know, we went back. I took a shower. Went back to the hotel. I took a shower. She said, won't you just go back out there and sit and wait on him? Okay. But so, you didn't really want to do that, did you? No, nah, not really. <laughs> but at the same time, I really wanted to have this sign for Mac. And I sat in the parking lot for, I don't know, two, two and a half hours. And they'd basically given up. I thought I missed him somehow. And uh, I saw LaCava sitting over by the car. And I rode over and I said, Joe, where's, where's the big boy at? And he said, he's inside getting therapy. I said, well, I've got this book I'd love for him to sign. He said, just sit and wait on him. So I sit there with Joe, and we're BSing, and he came out, and I said, hey, you mind signing this? He goes, I thought you were going to give it to me. I said, it's been your locker all week. (laughs) And he just kind of smiled. But, you know, he gladly signed the book for me, signed a flag flag for Mac. But we were sitting there just kind of talking. And... uh, Joe said something about good luck with the surgery. And Tiger looks at me and says, what are you having done? And I said, hip surgery. And, yeah, I was kind of telling him everything that I was going to be going through with the surgery and everything. And he pulls out his phone, starts scrolling through pictures, and he shows me the x-rays of his back with the screws in his back. And he said, if I can come back from this, you can come back from hip surgery. And uh, we probably sat there for 30, 40 minutes just talking. And, um, you know, it, my very first conversation with Tiger, um, there's been a lot of articles written about this. Um, so for a year and a half, my first year and a half on tour, he never once spoke. You know, we, we would literally be the only ones sitting there changing our shoes. Hey, how are you? Wouldn't even acknowledge me. <laughs> Which, you know what? I mean, this guy is arguably one of the five most recognizable people in the world. Yeah, not just golf. Not just golf, but people. And I understand there's a lot of people pulling on him in many different directions for his time. Everybody wants something from him. I didn't care. I mean, I, I was just being friendly. You know, I speak to most anybody. And uh, we were on the putting green Monday morning at Kiowa for the PGA in 2012. 
and I just finished second two weeks prior in Canada. And Joe came over to congratulate Brandon, my caddy, on us playing well. And he walked over and shook my hand, and we were talking, and I said something. And I told him, I said, you know, my only regret was I never looked at a leaderboard on Sunday. I said, kind of looking back at it now, I wish I'd have known where I stood. And we get to 18T that Sunday, and I kind of had a feeling where I was, but I wasn't 100% sure. And right as I'm teeing off, some guy yells, birdie wins, par ties. Thanks, pal. I <laughs> intentionally didn't look at those leaderboards for a reason. And um, But Tiger hears me say that, and he comes over and he says, what? And, I mean, he literally is nose to nose with me. And he says, spill the beans. So I'm kind of telling him everything. And he looks at me and says, uh, do you think Kobe doesn't look at the scoreboard with a minute to go in the game? I said, Tiger, I understand. I said, just understand that my first time in that situation, I didn't want to screw it up looking at the leaderboard. And we go back and forth a little bit more. And he looks at me and he says, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I said, well, at least we can agree on something. And how's that? But uh yeah, I mean, that story's been written several times. But, you know, when I was coming down the stretch on Sunday at Memorial two years ago, I, mean, I looked at every one. You're looking. I wanted to know. From, I mean, literally from that point on, I looked at every leaderboard. I, I wanted to know where I stood. And uh, it was a pretty good lesson. And, you know, you have a chance to sit down and get a little lesson from him. Doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you get a little lesson from him, you shut up and you listen. And it's like Arnold or Jack talking. You sit down, you shut your mouth, and open your ears. That's right. And what about you now that, I mean, you've been on the tour for a while. I mean, as rookies are coming up, are you helping them understand a little bit about you know the, the game itself and just what it's like being on tour? I mean, I'm glad to help any of them. It, I'm not going to walk over and say, hey, here's what you need to do. Yeah, here's well, what you need to know. Well, that's what it's but a it, tough thing because – you're yeah. competing against these guys. Well, but at the same time, when you sit down and look at the kids coming out on tour now, and I, I say kids, I mean they're 22, 23. I'm old enough to be a lot of them's dad now. <laughs> um, they're much more prepared than guys my age and a little younger. And then you go back 30 years, I mean they're way more prepared than guys were back then. I think college golf is is way different now. But it even starts at junior golf level now. Um, there's tons of tournaments to play in. There's tons of huge tournaments. You're getting used to practicing. You're getting used to the travel, all this stuff that kind of prepares you much better now than it did 20 years ago when I was coming along. You look at all the technology with TrackMan and, and video cameras are much better. Teaching, I think, has changed a bunch. Um, there's just so much stuff that's completely different now that guys, when they come out, are much more prepared to win. It seems like now you see five or six rookies winning each year. Um, you go back 15 or 20 years, you didn't see many rookies winning. You know, it would be one, two, three a year, but now it's like guys come out their first event on tour, they don't have big eyes anymore. And I think you know, when Tiger was in his prime, I think a lot of guys were intimidated by him. But the, the crop that's coming out now, they grew up watching him in his prime. They idolized him. They're not scared of him they're not scared of anybody they're not scared of anything and one thing's for sure they all hit it farther they all hit their irons better they all chip it and putter better 
I mean, they're much more prepared than than guys 15 years ago. And when you talk about, you know, the tour itself and the travel and all that, what does that look like? Like, when are you getting to a tournament? Are you getting there on Tuesday? And then where are you staying? Is well, it a house, a, hotels? A lot of it depends. Depends on where we are in the country. Depends on what time of year it is. Um, a lot of it depends on the tournament. Um, I've gotten to where I don't go down to the players until Tuesday now. Or if I go down on Saturday or Sunday or Monday, we go to the beach. You know, that's not my favorite golf course. Um, I go with the less is more approach down there. The less <laughs> I'm on the golf course, the the, the, the less more, frustrated you're going to be. Well, the more my mood is good. <laughs> yeah. um, it's just one of those places I, I'm not not overly fond of. But go to a place like Muirfield Village, I want to get there as soon as I can. I mean, we leave Colonial and we fly straight there. And if I get in at a decent time Sunday afternoon, I go out to the golf course just to walk around. I mean, it. Jack modeled Muirfield after Augusta, and there's a lot of similarities in everything out there. You know, the, the staff, the way you're treated, um, the condition of the golf course is impeccable. You know, it's a great layout, and anytime you get to spend five minutes with Jack, it's pretty special. There's just certain places that you love. Colonial's another one. I get there as soon as I can. Not knocking any tournament in particular, but you know, take a place like John Deere. We'll go in there on Sunday or Monday. Um, we take Mac wants to go to the John Deere Museum. We go there. Um, Tuesday night they have a, a party for the players and their families out at the test site. Kids, it's the number one party on tour. Kids are kids that night even even the 40 year old kids are kids <laughs> um but i won't say there's less emphasis on golf that week but it's more about watching them have fun and if you play well great but there you know there's just certain places that you want to get there as fast as you can and there's certain places that you just take your time getting to and um, does your family travel with you most times my family now? travels most of the year with me it's a little different now max started kindergarten this year but they're still going to travel a fair amount. But it, it's it's fun, and my wife thinks I'm crazy when I tell her that the hardest weeks for me are the weeks they're not out. It's too quiet. I have a tendency to stay and practice more, so I wear myself out, and then I can't go to sleep at night because where's the, where's the chaos around here? <laughs> That's right, yes. Um, it's, it's you need some quiet. normalcy, yeah. right? And it's fun uh, having them out. I mean... You know, we're, we're very blessed in the fact that they can travel and they have the opportunity to see parts of the country that most people will never get to see. Mac's a little disappointed that there's two places that he's not going to get to go this year um, that he absolutely loves. One is a John Deere for the Tuesday night party, and the other one's Pebble Beach. And he, he absolutely loves Pebble Beach. Well, it's Beach. hard not to love Pebble Beach. It, I tell people all the time, you cannot describe that place to people it, it truly is the most beautiful setting that you could ever put a golf course that the whole peninsula is that way um you know pebble the views are phenomenal right next door at cyprus it's unbelievable especially 15 through 18 when you cross the road or 15 16 and 17 really but even the holes back through the trees or in the dunes are phenomenal golf holes you know, spyglass, even though it's through the trees, you know, you get a lot of views of the ocean. I mean, there's a lot of elevation change. And in Monterey Peninsula Country Club, you, know, you 
you're basically right on the water. Different type of golf course, but it, it's phenomenal. And that, that's always one of our favorite weeks. I can imagine. Now, so when you look back in your career and through golf and even baseball, what are some of the things that you've leaned on for sports as far as how it's helped your life, the life lessons from sports? I think you can always relate sports and life. You know, you get knocked down, you got to get back up. It doesn't matter if you're in a boxing ring or or if you're in a business world. You're always going to get your nose bloodied no matter what you do. I mean, even as much success as Tiger's had, he'll tell you he's gotten his nose bloodied many times. But you pick yourself up. You get back to practicing. Even if you're a salesman, I mean, you're going to hear no a bunch. Well, you know, if you're a golfer, I mean, I can I can tell you my experiences with Q School. I went to 18, 18th hole, 72nd hole at second stage of Q School. Three consecutive years, needed to make birdie to advance to finals, and then that would at least get me to what is now the web.com tour. Worst case scenario. Three straight years, I hit great shots, hit great putts, burn the edge, and missed. I mean, that's like walking in, trying to make a sale, and them looking at you and saying, tell me everything, you're all excited, and then they look at you and go, no, it's not for us. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of relates pretty easily, I think, golf and, golf and life. But the one thing's for sure, you got to keep moving forward. And when you say keep moving forward, I mean, that's great words of wisdom that I, I do like to lean on from that side as well. Do you have any other words of wisdom or life advice that has meant a lot to you? And it could be phrases, quotes, or just something that you'd like to share. Well, I remember growing up, and, and I heard this with baseball, and I heard it with golf, and I say it all the time. When you're not practicing, somebody else is. <laughs> somebody else is raising their game. And, you know, I had a conversation with somebody this morning um, and we were kind of talking about he's a salesman. And he said, you know, you can never get complacent. You always have to be hungry. You wake up every day and go, okay, what can I do better? What do I need to work on to increase my sales numbers? What what can I do to help my family? And no matter what you do, you can always do more. And is more always the answer in the sports world, more practice always the answer? Not necessarily. And it's not necessarily in the business world either. But when you're sitting at home relaxing, there's somebody else out there improving their game. So true. William, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you being a guest here on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Being able to push through the complacency that we often fall into and keep that out of your mind, it's not an easy task. But having the mindset like William of enjoying and even embracing the fact that there's always areas of improvement in your life, and that's regardless if it's in athletics, if it's in your career, or even at home. It will only lead to a better understanding of how to move forward even in those times when it would be so easy just to be complacent. Now that finishes episode 85. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Takes Sports. Thanks for listening.